What's up? This is episode two of Flippin' Tin. I am Jacob Bratz with Longleaf Fertilia. I am Sky Williams of Hail the Scales and Peach Throat Passion. This is episode two, baby. Y'all ready yes. or what? Very excited. Everybody's kind of been honest. When you do another episode, when you do another episode, we're doing another episode. So we're here. We're live. At least I hope we're live. I'm still figuring out all this shit, but it seems like there's three people there. So Sick. I think we're good. And somebody already dipped. So that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> we're like, fuck these guys. <laughs> but yeah, this is episode two. We're super stoked. Glad to be here. Hell yeah. Thank you to anybody that's going to pop in here live and join us. Um, we've been planning this for a while and trying to figure out what we're going to do. So, oh, and Meteoric Serpent said, can confirm you're live. Hell I'm yeah. still figuring this out. I went into the private chat section. There's nothing there. And then I went to comments and I see. Okay. I see now. It all makes sense. Start yeah. You got to go to the comments. Yeah. I'm. I'm bad at this, but yes, we're here by the skid of our teeth, but we're, we're going to make it, bro. Sorry, I was, getting <laughs> some, I was getting some, some of the content pulled up. Some of the questions from the fellow listeners and Jack's in the house. Jack, oh, private chats just for people in the stream. Oh, so if you and I want to cost about everybody, that's where we need to go. Hell yeah. We're going to be Beautiful. secretly talking crap. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. So we are here. Let me pull up some, some stuff. We got kind of a lot to go over. Um, I think today's kind of plan is we're going to go through some of the comments we've had and revisit some stuff we talked about last week and stuff we missed, go over some new equipment, blah, blah, blah. As you can tell, we don't have a guest this week. It's just going to be me and Sky again. Um, so we're just going to. Kind of, kind of wing it. We talked about it earlier, but now I'm blanking on all of it. So no, you're good. It's all locked <laughs> in. I got it all. Yeah. But um, you want to let's get the let's get the elephant in the room out of the way yeah. really quick. With yeah, the, uh, I mean, you guys. Had, uh, yeah, we've had some people asking. Jake's made a couple posts on the page. You know, we've already got a bunch of messages asking about sizes and prices and stuff. Here's the new tease. I'm not going to know how the heck to show this thing. It's got the flipping tin. We got these new filled herpin caps. They're super lightweight. They're like a almost like a water resistant material. I was pretty stoked on that. You can't really tell in pictures and stuff, yeah. but once you get it in hand, it's almost like a it's it's like a um, nylon ish kind of material. And um, man, everything's super comfy. Obviously, it's made by Fulvius. Justin picks the best quality t shirts and stuff to make it out of. Absolutely. So. Yeah, if you guys are wanting to get a hat or get a shirt and, you know, rep the gang, hit up the Flippin' Tin Instagram page. That's where we're going to be taking your guys' orders down and everything. Uh, we're not going to be doing it one by one. We're going to try to kind of wait like a month or so, let a bunch of orders come in so we can get a good tally together. And, you know, then we'll get everyone's stuff put in and keep everything, you know, yeah. we'll keep in touch with everybody, obviously, yeah. throughout the process. But... Yeah, it'll just be easier that way. And yeah, we'll keep you guys taken care of. We'll send you some stickers and whatnot. Keep you decked out with the flipping tin gear. It's already worked for me. 
it's foolproof. I mean, you wear it, you're in the field. Not only do you feel swift and just like you're feeling like you're out there looking like a hawk out there, just like <laughs> sticking shit. But you find herps, dude. I mean, oh, yeah. Herps, it's like the, it's like the, it attracts. It attracts, it attracts them. them. Especially yeah, like yeah. this color you blend into the, your surroundings. Like, I mean, <laughs> it's it's foolproof yeah. gear. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. If you're not wearing it, you're slacking, basically. Yeah. So. But yeah, so if you're interested in anything, like Sky said, just message the page and um, I'll be talking to you. So how it's going to work, like Sky said, we're going to build up a big order to kind of because we're me and Sky, we're not doing this to make any kinds of money. We're making these as cheap as possible for you guys, even though they're not super cheap, but they're about average. Um, they're going to be $30 each. So $30 for a shirt. $30 for a hat and that's shipped. That's not, you know, plus shipping or anything. That's 30 bucks shipped. Um, so that includes everything. So how it's going to work is if you message the page, tell us what you want, what size I'll send you a link. If you want a hat, I'll send you a link to, uh, all the hat colors that you can choose from. Cause there's a bunch of different colors. So I'll make sure everybody gets what they want as long as it's in stock. Now the site I send you, Justin has access because Justin's going to be making all these for us. Justin has access to all the colors the site has, um, but on the site, they may say out of stock. That doesn't necessarily mean they're out of stock for Justin. Um, there is a chance they may be for Justin. So if that's the case, I'll message you, hit you up, let you know it's out of stock and we can choose a different color from there. Um, <clears throat> so we're not, we're doing these like kind of a made make to order type of thing. We're going to get everything set up and, um, we will be asking for payment up front um, whenever you want it. You know, I hate to be like that, but me and Sky are not made of money. So we got to get everything kind of together so we can do one big push to Smitty. Um, so we're going to do let it run for three to four weeks, about a month or so. And then, um, yeah, like Justin said, have a backup color picked out just in case. Um, so if you want that, just let us know, but we are going to ask for payment up front. That way we can, I'll put everything to the side and, uh, make sure that we can pay Justin up front for everything. And then we'll go from there. Um, I'm going to deal with all the shipping. Justin's going to make them. I'm going to take them and I will ship them out to you guys as soon as everything's done. Um, I'll have a tally of everybody of your size, your color hat. If you decide to get a hat, um, all that so you can do either one nothing says you have to get a hat if you get a shirt nothing says you have to get a shirt if you get a hat so either way just let us know message the page and uh, we'll make sure we keep track of everybody and take you'd be care pretty lame not to get both just saying I mean, yeah i mean and, both uh, is the we way got we got sean in the chat asking about shipping to canada um i'll have I to get with smitty on that and just see what he's done yeah. and we'll get back with you on that but yeah, we're trying I, to do it is like I said, we're literally or like Jake said, we're not really making any money, if no. any. Probably gonna be losing money after gas and everything. So yeah, so this definitely isn't anything for us yeah. to clear anything. This will this is us just trying to break even on it. Um yeah. so that's all we ask. Sean, I will look into shipping to Canada. We'll do if you want something. Um, I'll charge you the flat rate at first. And if it ends up being more, I'll message you. And before I ship it, I'll just have you send a little bit of extra funds. I'm sure it won't be too bad. Um, I'll just have to figure that out. I'm only used to shipping reptiles, not equipment. So <laughs> I don't really know. Smuggle it. So, I mean, that's always an option too. <laughs> he said you go bankrupt shipping to Canada. 
Yeah. So I'll figure I'll definitely figure that out though. If you're willing to pay for shipping, I'm more than willing to jump through any hoops I need to to get it to you. Because we want everybody to rep this stuff. We absolutely love this. I found my first snake of the year wearing this shirt. So obviously, good luck. Um, the hats are great. I went with orange mostly because it matches my backpack that I got. It's also orange, but also high vis when you're on a WMA is never a bad thing. Um, so but there's I like it because it kind of matches the background too. We're kind of like all yeah. together with like the logo with the colors yeah. we got going on. Yeah. And the hats, they actually have a, a rope on them. They're the rope, they're the rope five panel hats. So what we can do, and I'll clarify if you want something different, but what we what I'm gonna plan to do, Sky didn't do it because he's lame. Uh, but we're gonna make the stitching of the logo match the rope because I think that's gonna look cool. Um, if you don't want that. Just let me know. I will ask to specify, you know, to make sure because I'm sure Sky didn't want a yellow logo to match his yellow rope. Um, so, yeah. And then uh, Joe said orange is a safety color, too, in the woods. Absolutely. It's a great thing to have. Um, I'm all about it. I like orange. Um, so, yeah, if you're interested, just hit us up. I know that was kind of a lot of information. If you have any questions, just let us know. Um, but upon you know you telling us what you want, I'll send you my PayPal and uh, make sure that is put to the side. It will not be touched. It will be only for shirts. And I can assure you, you will get your stuff. It might take a little while. So just be prepared for that. But I will keep you posted. And during the process, feel free to message us anytime. We'll keep you updated on everything. Um, so we just want to get, we just want to get everything out there. I know we're doing it kind of soon. We're only two episodes in. We're like merch, you know, but that's, you know, we're excited. So, and everybody's already, rolls. yeah, everybody's <laughs> been, Justin kind of made these shirts for us and we were all excited. So we posted them up and everybody's like, when can I get one? So yeah. we figured do it this way. would be the easiest. That way we don't have a bunch of leftover sizes of shit that people don't want. And then, you know, I don't have to keep a box of shirts that I pay for in my garage so that's pretty much that i think um i think yeah, we covered everything so just let us know keep yeah, you in the hit loop us up. hit us up yeah. get you a hat at least get a hat the hats are yeah. sick the hats are sick man i'm not gonna lie the oh. it, it, it sky's right the material is like it's really i had no idea i thought it was gonna be like the your classic kind of cottony five panel hat but these are like a moisture wicking material like if water fell on it, it'd be like the drop that falls down. It's kind of weird. It's hard to explain and you can't tell in a picture or a yeah. video or anything. Um, so, but they're dope, super lightweight, super comfortable. And let's face it. Everybody looks good in a five panel hat. They're my personal favorite. So they dope. Yeah. They're awesome. Get with so, the program. Yeah. Just let us know. They're great field hats. And we went with this style because this is like, kind of a field style hat at least everything that i look at is the five panels are normally your outdoorsy style hats if you're into that kind of thing um so just keep keep us posted and uh, let us know like i said you have about a month i'm sure once we do this first round if some people missed out and they want something we'll do another run later on um so we'll get all that figured out but let us know we'll run this for about you know four weeks or so and then or if things just stop and nobody's messaging us anymore and we'll probably call it and get everything out because definitely don't want to be slacking on that yeah get um, everyone their stuff yep they got to be getting their first herp of the year with that with wearing that stuff yeah boy yeah, yeah. so did let's since uh 
Speaking of, have you got your first herp of the year in hand? In hand, yes, I did. As I said uh, earlier, I went herping last week and wearing all of my beautiful flipping tin gear. I found a lot of herps, but more specifically, I got my first snake in hand. That was actually a really cool, a really cool thing. Um, so I went to one of my local WMAs and I was driving around, hiking through different spots. It had there's a lot of flooded areas. So I was pretty hopeful. Um, saw a bunch of frogs, bunch of gators. Oh my gosh, there were a lot of gators out there. That video you got of them crossing the road was sick. yeah. That was pretty cool, right? Um, yeah. So I saw a gator on the road. It was funny. I took a bunch of videos to try and make a YouTube video at some point. I haven't put in effort into that yet because I've been busy. Um, but I took a bunch of videos, so YouTube video will be to come. So really excited about that. But ton of gators, frogs, some skinks. Uh, found some anoles at my parents' house later that day because I went over there to help my dad with some stuff and ended up be bopping around his property because he just cleared a section of land. So I was looking around there. Um, and then, so while I was at the WMA, I was at this spot and I actually went to this exact spot with Chris Montross when he was herping with me and we found two ribbon snakes right there. So I was like, I'm going to beep up over there, see if I can't find me a ribbon. And, uh, there's a bunch of fallen bark all over the place, you know, from trees that had died. So I was flipping the bark on the ground. And um, I just happened to pick my head up and something caught my eye. And I look over and right at face height, there was a tree that had been broken off um, like you know, about head high. And there's a ribbon snake just sitting there just staring right at me, almost not not moving at all. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, like, hell yeah, it was right there, you know. So it was really cool. Al. It, it was pure luck, you know, that I just happened to look over and it was sitting right there staring at me. Yeah, you could have just walked right by it. Yeah, exactly. I never even thought to look in the tree. It's just like that that little stripe he's got just caught my eye and I happened to look over. And That's freaking he was awesome. right there. So I took some videos of him and um Tried to coax him out a little bit. I probably should have left him alone, but you know me, I can't, I can't not hold him. So I, I tried to like slowly go in there and see if I could just lift him out, but he ended up darting. And so I grabbed him up and held him for a second, took some pictures in the hand and uh, all that good stuff. So first snake of the year, that was so sick. That was the only snake I saw the whole time. Um, which is perfectly okay. It was kind of a weird day. Um, you know, it wasn't that warm, but it was warm enough. Um, but seeing all the gators was cool. I saw a gator cross on the road. I was actually heading out and I saw a gator on the road, like in the distance. So I immediately pulled out my phone and I was like, there's a gator crossing the road. I floored it on this dirt road in the middle of a WMA. And, um, I thought he was going to jet off to the side. And as I pulled up to him, my truck, he kind of like laid down cause he was walking at first and he laid down on the dirt road and I hopped out and I started videoing him and he was looking at me all weird. All of a sudden he stood up and he turns around and that's when I took the video that I posted on the yeah. Instagram. He turned around and went back into the, the swamp area. And Homie was doing the tall walk. That was sick. Yeah, it was cool, man. I love watching those things walk, dude. It's so yeah. cool. And it was crazy because he went where the area he went in at was um there's a bunch of like cover over the top of a bunch of you know weeds and you know different things covering the top of the water and he went down and you couldn't see the gator at all but you saw everything like shifting Just moving where he yeah. was going through yeah it was so cool and so i 
videoed him moving through that. You couldn't see the gator at all, but you just see the grass just shifting, you know, and it was so cool, man. That's so um, wild. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And then I walked another area looking for cotton mouths and a possible cane break and uh, ran into some guys that were birding and ended up talking to them. And dude had been on, you know, herp trips before. And he saw my hook and he was like, I'm guessing you're looking for snakes. And I was like, yeah, actually I am. Hell yeah. Um, so it was cool. And then today, actually, at work, I saw a bunch of gators, too. And uh, so that was that was awesome. Yeah, I love seeing alligators. Those are always the first things I see, you know, on the air. Those guys come out as soon as it hits about 65 degrees and sunny. They're out basking, baby. They're like, give me the warmth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what about you, man? I know you've you've been out quite a bit. You've been out more than I have because it's been warmer by you. Yeah, so, dude, uh, I'm honestly disappointed at um, my uh, count and my my success rate for as much as I've been out so far, but yeah, um, I've hit my racer. Yeah. I've hit my local spot, um, at least like five or six times. And then I've hit a couple other spots that are close to the house too. Just bouncing around, checking out some new stuff. I've lost the same racer three times now in the same spot, which I want to get into that. Yeah, and then that. yesterday, I went out and hit a new spot and I lost another racer, which that one I thought I was going to be able to get, but it just got into like a dip off the side of the road and the shrubs were so thick. And I was like doing the like break a branch, listen, break a branch, listen to the point where it was like, all right, this eventually died off and I just gave up. But the cool thing about the one that I've lost three times was it was right after we made the first episode and I was like, all right, let's, I'm going to go out and get some field content. And I was making some, you know, clips and stuff too, for a YouTube video, just going over the surroundings and like what to look for and stuff that I was noticing while I was out there. And I was coming up on a spot where I've seen a lot of stuff. So I was like, let me just start recording while I'm walking around. And sure enough, that was when I had the first run in with the black racer and it, darted off into a brush pile and I spent like 15 minutes doing the solo man run around this brush pile, trying to find it until it either went into a hole or it took off to the side. And when I was running around and didn't see it. So then like two days later I came back and I was like, all right, now that I'm at this spot, I know this black racer is here. Let me be, you know, I'm going to be prepared for it this time. Had my phone out again. It's like, let me start recording. So I walk up to the area this time. He was like, 10 or 15 feet closer to where I was walking from than he was the first time. But sure enough, darts off again, right into the same brush pile that I chased around the first time. So I'm like, all right, this is this guy's area. So I poked around in that brush pile again, couldn't find him that time. I was like, all right, so there's probably a hole in here and he's going into that hole in the brush pile. Meandered on, went throughout my day. Yesterday, I went back when I was you know, just coming back from my little bike ride and everything. And I was like, oh, let me just run through there. It's still a little bit warm enough. Went to the same spot again, had my phone out again, expecting, all right, this guy's either going to be here or he's not. I was so locked in on the ground. Like I told myself, I was like, all right, be ready for this thing. Look for any scale pattern. Look for anything that looks like a snake, anything that looks black. Like he's going to be here if he's here. I'm looking in the exact two spots that I've seen him. Sure enough, he's five foot closer to me <laughs> again than he was the last time. And I freaking spook him again. He goes straight back into that same brush pile. So I'm like, okay, 
this guy has a little strip that he bass that he does his cryptic basking in and he knows exactly where his home is he oh, must yeah. have a hole in that brush pile it's a little palm frond brush pile it's like three or four palm fronds around the base of an oak tree to give you some context and obviously a bunch of dead leaves and dead palm frond leaves all bundled up in there so he's got to have a hole in the middle of that thing but that's over two week period now that i've gone back and i've witnessed the same snake in the same area at the same time of day in the same weather patterns so that's cool observation I'm, yeah i'm taking the loss but i'm taking away what i gained from that which is i now know where this snake's living i can go back and see it anytime i want as long as i go there at the right time of day maybe this fourth time i'll be keen enough to come from a different direction <laughs> maybe i'll get hands on this guy you gotta what cut is, off you gotta go around and then cut off that yeah. access point that he goes into that brush yeah. gotta go around the other side and try yeah. and get him to come towards you and he can yeah yeah that or i just need you to come down so we can have we can tag team him give him yeah. the old give him the old shuffle so but, two stories or you don't you you got more no no no. you can go you can go yeah i was gonna say two stories with black racers one me and Chaz on the Georgia trip, we caught a black racer and I wanted to, I tried getting y'all's attention, but nobody could hear me yelling. Um, me and Chaz were kind of in the same area, you know, we were close by and um, he hollers at me. He's like, Jake, there's a snake over here. And I was like, all right, I got you. I got you. So I ran over and he's like, hold on. And he's like, he pointed, he's like, it's right there. And I see a good size black racer, probably about four foot. And um, he was like, all right, he goes, you stay where you are, and I'm going to make a move for it. When I make a move for it, maybe he'll go towards you. Or you can nab him. I was like, all right, I got you. There's no way this is going to work, but I got you. And, dude, sure enough, Chaz was sitting there, and he started kind of walking close, and he went for it, and that thing took off, and it came right towards me, man. I just fucking nabbed him right there. I was like, holy shit, that worked. I'm yeah, like, boy. What? So that was cool as hell. Dude, but, Coach um, Whips and Racers, that's like the only way to get him is to have like two people and you got to have that ping pong yeah. or you got to just dive on it, man. Yeah, like, which I have caught him absolutely laying out before grabbing him. Oh, yeah. Um, But along the same stories and now this kind of this <laughs> Chaz, no, way no gonna way it's gonna work oh it did i'm not gonna lie i was in my head i was like yeah we're not getting this thing but we're gonna try damn it Chaz, Chaz hooked it up man that was awesome that's awesome and uh but you know that whole thing that where you saw the same racer in the same spots actually happened to me when i was younger so i was probably i don't know 14 15 or so and um I was just getting into like trying to catch snakes. I was only doing it on my parents' property. I grew up on five acres. So we had a lot of woods for me to explore and all that. Rarely found snakes though, because the neighbor across the dirt road had guinea fowl. And I don't know if anybody knows anything about guinea fowl, but they're notorious snake, snake peckers. Like, and, yeah. yeah, they destroy snakes. So we never had that many snakes that I saw around. They were there, but there wasn't a, I never, I can count on one hand the amount of times I found snake in my snakes in my actual yard. Um, but I was walking through the woods one day by myself and I saw this racer sitting in a little patch of sun in the woods and I was like, Oh, you know? And so I just took off after him. I chased him for a minute. I dove, I missed him and he was gone. So the next day, I think it was, uh, my buddy across the field, he, he also likes snakes. So he always went looking with me and stuff. 
And um, so I took him over there and I was like, yeah, dude, I was walking up here and the snake was sitting right about there. It's right there. And it was sitting at exact same spot. And so I took We took off after him again and missed him again. Yeah, of course, you know, but it's crazy. So like, I think that is kind of a, that, you know, black racers might have that kind of they get a spot and they like it and they yeah. stay there, you know. The, um, I have it up on my Hail the Scales page, and I'm pretty sure I've told you, and I've, I don't know, I've talked about it in the group chat that I've got before, but my longest ongoing observation of a single animal is a black racer, and it was for at least a year and a half, maybe a little bit longer than a year and a half. Wow. But I literally watched this snake go from its, you know, bit, it was a little bit bigger than a hatchling, but it still had its hatchling pattern where it was like, you know, it looked like a corn snake, basically. Yeah, I watched it go from that into a full three foot long, maybe three and a half foot long, solid wow. black, black racer. It lived at the back of our shop when I worked at my last job. And we, we I would have to go to the backside of the building notoriously like three to five times a day. And it lived six foot off the ground in a metal pipe where the fence was broken. And so there was a opening in the pipe. That thing lived in the opening of the pipe and it would come out and go into the trees and go onto the chain link fence and eat freaking green and, or brown and knolls until its stomach was full. Cause that's, I mean, they were everywhere at the shop, but me and my manager, once we noticed it there a couple of times, we started, you know, making a note of it and day after day, week after week, month after month, it turned into this whole thing and we watched it and we, we were collecting his sheds. My manager, he had a little, he has a little grandson. So every time it shed and we could collect the full shed, he would take it to his grandson, like full on thing. I have documentation pictures. It's up on my Instagram page. One of the coolest things I've ever observed. But the one thing that I took away from the whole thing was how arboreal in nature black racers are <clears throat> And the whole year and a half of us observing that snake or longer. Never one time. Ooh, I take that back. We did see it on the ground one time it was crossing the part of our field or whatever, but it literally went back up to another side of the chain link fence and right, went right back up the fence. But in that whole year and a half, other than that one time, we always saw it up on the fence in the piping of the top layer of the fence or up in the trees that surrounded the yard. Never did we ever see that snake on the ground. So like, I was like, man, that's goes to show you, how arboreal these this species actually is and you know how quick they can move through the trees and then just how they stay in one area if it's a good area and it provides food and shelter i guarantee you that snake's probably still there unless someone's killed it i mean it, it, i want to see how long i can see this black racer out here and just document you know how many times yeah. i've seen it how many times it's lost me and i just think that's cool because yeah we're doing our own telemetry without doing telemetry basically. Yeah, dude, that's, that's awesome. I've definitely never, you know, had an experience like that where you saw the same snake, you know, over and over, but that's dude, it was only, only because it was so at cool. my work. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome, man. Yeah, that's cool. Black racer, black racers are fun, man. You know, I I'll try usually to try and catch them just because I still love black racers, man. You know, Smitty won't even won't even go for a black anymore. But uh, I, I love him, man. I usually try. And it's funny you say the arboreal thing because there was one time I was, you know, at my old same job but different position within what I do now. Um, 
they I, I'm used to map out drain pipes, you know, in the entire county. And we would see quite a few snakes. And I looked under this pipe and I could see a snake in there. So I was like, oh, yeah, like there's something under there. So I tried to coax it out and eventually came out and it was a racer. And so I was chasing it and um, I lost it for a second. I was like, where the hell is it? You know, and this pipe, obviously it's a pipe. It leads to a ditch or some other type. And in this scenario, it was a ditch. So it went into the ditch. and I was trying to chase it and I lost it. And I was like, what the heck? So I was on one side of the ditch and I look over. And it's like five feet up in this shrub, you know, thing, just kind of moving around. I was like, oh, shit. So I dove across this ditch and grabbed it midair from Hell the ditch. Yeah. And I had them, you know, but man, they, they definitely go up. And um, we got a comment that says, do you think you're missing a lot of snakes out herping because you're only looking down? And I think totally yes and i am 100 guilty of that i try um, to keep the scan freaking yeah it, it's it's especially hard when you're by yourself it's hard to look you know everywhere oh, at yeah. once. that's why i like going with people you know because if you got enough eyes you can have one person looking one side one person looking the other side one person looking up yeah and that's your best you know point of view you know but yeah absolutely i think there's a ton of snakes that you don't see because you're only looking down Rat snakes are extremely arboreal. Um, black racers, black racers will go up. Um, water snakes will go up, and you know you can you can <laughs> you'll miss all kinds of stuff. You know, only looking on the ground. Yeah. Um, even even one time, now I'm not going to say rattlesnakes do this a lot, but there's one time I found a baby uh, cane break rattlesnake with my buddy uh, Ben. And uh, so we're sitting there photographing it. We weren't really doing anything to it. You know, super chill. It was like 59, 58, 60 degrees out. It was really cold. I couldn't believe this thing had, was sitting just outside of like a den under a tree. This, this was like a burned up tree. And there was like this den area underneath where the roots came over. And we had already walked past this tree and we were working our way back and it was sitting right out there. So, you know, we took some pictures of it. That was Ben's life of rattlesnakes. That was awesome. But as we're taking pictures of it, it starts to move a little bit. And so I just kind of observed it and watched it. And this thing started going up the tree. It was using the bark, you know, as you know, you know how snakes work. do it. Yeah, to work its way up. And it started just going up the tree. And I was like, what the hell? It's like, this is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Watching this thing just like slowly go up the tree. And eventually it kind of worked its way down because I think we were freaking it out. And it wanted to go back in its burrow. Um but, you know, I think a lot more stuff utilizes, you know, at least shorter, you know, sh shorter trees, brushes, you know, anything like that to kind of get off the ground. Some of them will be 20 feet up in a tree, no doubt, especially rat snakes, corn snakes, you know, anything like that. Um, they they definitely like to be in trees. And, yeah, exotic world of, of geckos, like corn snakes and rat snakes. Yeah, they, they love the trees, man. Freaking um, cane breaks, I think, are notoriously more arboreal, especially when they're younger than we even Absolutely. know about. Um, if you guys follow uh, Noah, who um, Noah Fields, he does all a bunch of herping and everything. He's got a YouTube channel that's massive, huge, awesome herper. But that guy has literally witnessed multiple uh, litters of cane breaks up in trees, and he's documented it. So. There, I think they're a lot more arboreal, especially when they're younger, you know, just to stay safe, whatever it takes to survive. And it's just a lot of stuff that we haven't seen. So we and don't I think, think it happens. 
I think a lot of that too, though, is, is, you know, and it, a lot of times like a baby cane break, you're not going to see one up in a tree, but you'll see it at like overhanging brush and like bushes and stuff like that. And I think that's because that's where a lot of annuls will hang out and a baby cane break or a baby rattlesnake in general, they're not that big. And let me tell you, there's not a whole lot of pinky mice just be bopping around out there. No. Um, so they're getting anything they can. And those annuls are perfect size prey for a lot, a lot of stuff. And I think those baby rattlesnakes are no different. So they'll sit up in the, those brush areas and, you know, sit there and wait. And yeah, they're ambush predators. So they're going to ambush, you know, three feet up in a shrub, you know, but it's no different than anything else. Cause those annuls and, you know, baby lizards and stuff are going to be perfect size meals for such a small snake. Oh yeah. And, um, so, and Mike Kosicki commented that I try to stop every 20 feet or so and just all around look up down sideways and all that. I think that's great. That's a habit I'm also trying to get into. When you're out in the field, you, you kind of get in the zone. You're just trucking and you're just looking all over the place. But I think it's really good. It's been a good habit that I've been getting into lately is to like walk a little bit, stop. And if you're in an area that looks kind of juicy, you know, just stop and, you know, just look around, observe everything that you're in, look in the bushes, uh, look up in the trees, on the ground, everywhere, you know, but just stop and kind of just take it all in for a second and look and listen. Yeah, I think listening is a great thing too. Oh you know? yeah. I rely a lot on listening. You can hear I mean, yeah. half the time that's what you're listening for is, all right, is there leaves moving? Is there twigs moving? Is right. there something on the ground moving? Like how, what's going on? How can yeah. I see this thing? Um, Jack said something that I was literally about to bring up. He said they probably eat bugs too. And exactly. it's already well documented about copperheads, you know, eating cicadas. And yeah, other... cotton mouths too. Cotton mouths especially. They, or, they, uh, yeah, sorry. I said, yeah. cotton, I meant co um, cotton. What, wait, hold on. Did I say cotton mouse or copperheads? You said copperhead. Okay. I meant to say copperheads. <laughs> but, and you, you meant to say copperheads or you meant to say cotton mouths? I meant to say copperheads. I didn't know okay. cotton mouse also did that. Yeah, too. no, there's been documentation of the cotton mouse eating the cicadas. Okay. Yeah, I knew for sure about the copperheads. I didn't know that. So that's pretty yeah. cool too. But yeah, so if you're going to tell me those two viper species are relying on, you know, the insects and stuff, but and we're the only ones doing it. No. We're only going to, we're going to seclude, we're going to exclude the other one, even though it likes to climb up trees where the bugs are. Okay. Yeah. So we're just yeah. going to exclude it. No, guarantee you all no. the, all them are eating, eating anything they can. Um, Chaz said both. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think a lot of stuff, a cicada is a cicada is just small enough for an average sized animal to eat it. So I think a lot of snakes are eating cicadas. It's only, I wouldn't doubt it, it's just only been documented on certain species. And, uh, yeah, Chaz, Chaz also said he had worms. small copperheads last year that he got to feed hornworms. And that yeah. makes perfect sense. I think these things are eating a lot more insects than we care to realize. Or Dude, rough green to. snakes, scarlet snakes. Yeah, You're I think everything, everything is at a small size. Anything when it's baby, you know, baby colubrids are tiny. Yeah. Like I said, there's not any, there's not a bunch of micro pinkies fucking bop, beep bopping around in the woods. There's like, hundred packs of red hot yeah. hiding underneath that log, bro. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I think they're eating basically anything they can get, whether it's a bug or they find a nest and they happen to get some, you know, baby stuff. Uh, but even as babies, I don't see them raiding nests like that because if mom's there, then they become food. Yeah. You know, like it's it's treacherous as a baby snake. Everything's bigger than you. 
So you're going to eat what you can get. And I guarantee you that's crickets, grasshoppers, cicadas, anything officially Jake's favorite phrase, beep bopping around. That is my favorite phrase. I love, <laughs> I love the term beep bopping. I love the term beep bopping. I'm not going to lie. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, I think they're eating all kinds of stuff. And I think they're going to be in those kind of brushes where all those things are going to hang out. You know, crickets, grasshoppers, you know, all that, all that good stuff. Um, so that's... Uh, it's a good observation, you know, it's something to think about. And when you know that type of stuff, it also helps with your herping abilities, because if you know where those things hang out, you can probably bet there's probably there might be snakes hanging out in those same type of areas. So all your, you know, all your little bushes and shrubs and stuff, you know, be don't be afraid to check those out. You know, um, they like to hang out in that that three to five foot area, you know, not too high off the ground, but, you know, off the ground a little bit. Because not only is it a good area for them to find food, it's also a really good area for them to stay camouflaged because there's a lot of cover right there. So it's kind of a win-win. Because mm -hmm. um, everything eats you when you're a baby snake. So when you're a little baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something something to think about while you're out there. You know, you gotta you gotta think about prey too. You can't just think about the snake. Think about the prey. What is what it might want to go for you know stay vigilant use your senses think like yeah. the snake you got to yeah. think like be, the snake. The, be snake. the snake think like the snake <laughs> how else are you going to find it exactly um and it's funny you know listening too is such a big thing because that happened multiple times while i was walking walking my spot for cotton mouths i was walking my cross dike last weekend and there were several times i heard a shh, you know off to the side and i would stop and i would you know look around and and I'm pretty sure at least one of them was a snake because it sounded a whole lot like that snake. Just, you know, because there's a very distinct sound with a snake. It's like a smooth kind of. Yeah. You know? And you can. Yeah. You hear the whole body going across. Yeah. So and that's the problem with this spot is a lot of them hang out on the edges and they'll know you're there before you know they're there. Yeah. And they'll just dip just yeah. right off to the side and they're gone. That's how um, I lost the second racer uh, yesterday. It was. Yeah. I not only heard it to grab my attention, but that's how I lost it was it was on the shoulder of the trail and it was right in the leaves of the shoulder. So as soon as it hooked its front of its body around, I heard all those leaves move and I was like, oh, shit, snake!" and then gone and off the shoulder back into the woods. And I was like, all right, this is be tough. It's even worse if you're on a cross site because it's water on both sides. Yeah. There's no, there's no going in after it, you know. But it did actually prevail for me one time. I heard something dive off, and I was like, "Ooh, what was that?" So I paused and I just kind of looked because I just wanted to see if anything was in the water, or whatever. But there's frogs, turtles, all kinds of stuff. I paused and looked, and I kind of scanned for a second. And I don't know if this is what ran off. I happened to see a, a yellow belly slider sitting in the water right there. And all I could see was its head just kind of poking out of the water <laughs> sitting there. And I was like, Hey, where's Jack when you need him? Right. And, uh, yeah, immediately thought of you, buddy. So you need to beep uh, bop over there and grab that. thing. <laughs> all right, we're going we're to drop that. I'm never saying it again. Come uh, on, bro. I brought my sweet tea for you and everything tonight, man. <laughs> You're just tempting me with the sweet tea. <laughs> I'm about to beep bop this thing down really quick. Okay. All right. I can't say anything with you fucks. I swear <laughs> to God. Sorry. But, it's because we love you. Nah, yeah. But so, yeah. Did you have any other cool um, observations or see anything else while you're out in the woods before we move on? Anything else? Mm, 
trying to think the gator was definitely cool ring or not the ring neck somebody said yeah exotic <laughs> world of gecko said ring neck and i'm like ring necks uh the ribbon snake was awesome uh that was probably definitely the highlight and i definitely saw some cool frogs and i flipped the toad actually i was on my parents property and so the guy my parents have 16 acres now my dad's building a house so i went out there to help him with some hvac stuff and the guy who had the property for my parents had trash just everywhere this place was covered in just crap the dude hoarded everything and so there's still some flipping paradise right so there's still stuff hanging around and um so i went over and flipped the board that i found there's big old american toad sitting under there oh yeah i bet he was so i was like oh hell yeah so i took a little video of him i do i love toads oh yeah like i don't i don't care how many i don't yeah Uh, I don't care how many I see, dude. I absolutely love toads. Yeah. America, we get Americans, Southerns, and um, spades, spade foots. And we also get narrow mouths here. Narrow mouth toads. Yeah. We get, the, I think we get the same four. Yeah. We get the same stuff. Um, yeah. It was funny, actually. So when I was in Florida last and me and Preston came by you, I think it was one of the first nights I was there. Preston was like, oh, dude, there's always spade foots in the backyard. Go look it around. I was like, don't tell me twice. So I look, went out there, dude, shining my flashlight. Sure enough, there's a little spadefoot sitting there. I was like, dude, that's for hell awesome. yeah. Cause that's I don't, awesome. I don't see spadefoots often here. I definitely have quite a few times, um, but I don't see them that often. They're kind of far and few between Southerns and Americans are definitely the, the staple here. But the fact that he was like, dude, just go outside and look. And sure enough, there's a little spadefoot sitting over there. I was like, oh my God. This hell is the yeah. Thing ever. That's um, Joe said, the real question, should I go herping this weekend if I don't know where the hell I'm going or what? Yes. Yeah. Like we have said before, Joe, you don't know if you don't go. You got to get yeah. out there, bro. I didn't find nothing at one of my favorite spots until I went like 15 times. So go get out there. See it. Check it out. Scope it. Yes. You got to you got to go, you know, go on Google Maps, find something a little bit more secluded. And then, you know, the best thing you can do is you know it'd be go road road cruise during the day even though you probably won't find anything on the road scope it. Get, get a feel for the habitat scope it out just go drive around waste some gas you know it's it's it, you got to do something okay you, you don't you don't know if you don't go you got to flip the tin you know yeah. if, if you don't get out there and try it's definitely not going to happen yeah, Brent just said, you know, dude, walking in the woods is, you know, the best part. You come across a snake, that's a plus. Exactly. And that's exactly what I was telling myself yesterday. You know, I wasn't really seeing anything. I was just out there. But there's literally a point. I don't know if you guys are following the Flippin' Den page. You probably saw my story where I was just like, man, this feels like paradise right now. It was just gopher tortoises, open, long leaf pine, you know, plain area where uh, and then just tree line with some little rolling sand hills like dude it's just freaking paradise i was like all right even if i don't see a snake right now which thankfully i saw that black racer like 15 minutes later i was just like man this is scoping out the sickest yeah. area right now like oh i can't wait to bring the boys back <laughs> here just to see this spot like so sick so yeah you're not you got to just get out there because you're not going to know where anything's at. Now now I know where at least 30 more gopher holes are that we can go check when we go out on our next outing because I scoped out a bunch of them. So if you don't find nothing, it's all about just taking back from the process. Like I said, I lost the, those two black racers one, three times, but I was still able to take away knowledge from the experience. Yep. 
and now I know so much more about my area because of it. So, and Joe, Joe said, I live in a suburban area and basically I have to just walk into the glaze off the grid. No roads, bro. That's perfect. even better. That's perfect. Are, are you kidding you me? Just about? walk, you know, <laughs> don't get lost. But all you got to do is just walk into that motherfucker. Put your GPS like, pin and, you know, just try to keep service, bro. That's the yeah. best advice I can give you. And be, you know, other thing you could do, just walk a straight line. You don't have to, you know, yeah, beep there is you no beep line around. Just, blades, bro. just walk you know, straight and know that you just turn around and walk your happy ass back. You know, beep off around through those woods, bro. Yeah, come on, man. You'll be all right. You got to go, man. You know, you're not going to find anything sitting at your house on your computer. Can't find them from the couch. Or on your phone, anything. You know, like Scott said last week, you're not going to find anything in hotel rooms. Nope. Okay. Go ahead. Before we move on, the last observation that I forgot, um, I did find in um, the one place I like going and taking you guys, I did find a huge, fresh coach whip shed. So that was a nice, promising thing just to see that. All right. The snakes are out. This guy's got his winter shed off. He's filling the spring air. He, she, you know, they're getting frisky. So the good sign that stuff's moving, stuff's out, stuff's shedding. So. Didn't get a lot of luck, but I got a lot of information. So, so Mike just said in the chat, Mr. Mike Kosicki, good friend of ours, said, do you all think areas that get frequently flooded out are more or less productive than slightly higher ground that doesn't? So that's kind of what you're, what it depends on what you're looking for. You know, I love areas that get flooded out because I love water snakes and I love cotton mouths. So those areas that get flooded frequently, oh yeah, I'm in that shit whenever possible. So, but that's going to be the majority of what you fi- what you find is that stuff that frequents water habitat. But with that said, if you can hit an area that gets flooded then goes down, those snakes learn that. And when it's down, other stuff will go in there to see what got left on land from the flood you know what i mean like all kinds of stuff will be left over on the flood on the ground whatever whether it be stuff like snails fish minnows anything like that stuff will know that and go to it a lot of times it will be cotton mouths uh water moccasins you know, i said cotton mouths or water snakes you know <laughs> stuff like that those will be your probably the majority of what you'll find but also, the surrounding areas will also be really good. If you stay nearby, you'll find more species as well um, because those species will know. If there's water, it's good. That's always been my go-to. If there's fresh water somewhere, whether it floods or not, but if there's fresh water there regularly, that's where I want to be because everything needs water and things will be around the water. And it's definitely a good place to be around, especially right after a flood possibly even during if you can hit scope the surrounding areas during a flood stuff like mud snakes if it's flooding mud snakes will be moving stuff like mud snakes rainbow snakes you know species like that if it's flooding out it's got to kind of push them push them the other way you know and they'll be moving you know if i want to find a mud snake i'm either going to go when it's pouring rain or right after it just poured rain you know, those are the best times to find certain species like that because it just kind of pushes them out because they live in swamps and mucky areas, but they don't want to be flooded. So they're going to kind of move on back. Um, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. And Brent has a great point too. Eastern hogs love that area in the right location. Frogs. 
100 percent you know stuff like your toad eaters your frog eaters hognose specifically absolutely um so it can definitely be hit or miss you just got to go during the right time it's more like a right before right after because the the snakes will feel the pressure change they're going to know when it's coming way before we do and so they act accordingly um so yeah stuff to keep in mind that's when you got to look at your weather patterns your pressure changes you know all that if i know a storm's coming i try to go right before and i try to go right after yeah we've had luck doing that dude oh yeah man after the rains i follow the storms you know that's during the springtime i'll pretty much go whenever like during late march april early may i'll go anytime and usually find something road cruising but once it gets to like summer like it's hot summer out like nothing's really moving i normally only road cruise when i know a storm's coming through i'll try to go right before and i'll try to go the day after or right after because sometimes like here i know the same way in florida you get a lot of like evening showers so it'll rain for 30 minutes to an hour. I try to go right after that rain as the sun's going down. Yeah. As there's a lot of water on the roads, it brings a lot of stuff out. Um, follow your weather patterns. That is a huge thing. Um, and even the summer, if you happen to get some type of cold front, because, you know, cold is a relative term. You know, here it doesn't ever get cold during the summer. But sometimes if, you know, I, a lot of people who, do, who don't know this, so when... When even during the winter, when rain's coming, you're going to get a warm front. Okay. The rain pushes in a warm front. And then right after the rain leaves, a cold front follows. So if you notice that, you know, in the southeastern areas um, in the winter, it'll get warm for a day. That probably means it's going to rain. The rain comes through and then it's cold as shit. That's why it doesn't snow in places like here in Florida. You know, it'll get down the freezing. But that rain will come in and push in that warm front and it rains, doesn't snow. Then right after it snows, it freezes. So, and it's no different in the summer. So once, if, if a rain is coming, temperatures are going to drop a little bit. And when that happens during the summer, you can have more luck before that rain hits. And then after the rain hits, everything's wet, everything's moving because frogs are moving. Everything Everything eats those frogs, leopard frogs, bullfrogs, all that stuff. <laughs> so right after that rain is also when you want to go because everything's moving, you know. Uh, yeah, I, when my arthritis starts kicking in, I know it's time to go herping. Yeah, when my thumb starts hurting, my when my rattlesnake thumb starts to act up, boy, we start going. <laughs> Can you hear the clicks? <laughs> That's the bone on bone knuckle pop. That's what they call that. That's right. Um, so just something to think about, you know, keep track of your storms, man. Those low pressure systems get stuff moving. 100%. Um, also, I guess along the same lines, keep track of your moon phases. So I actually did my own kind of, not a study, but I, I tried something one time and I went out in perfect conditions during a full moon and I didn't find shit. I didn't find a single fucking thing with the full moon. And then I went out when it was pitch black out, there's basically no moon and I found a lot of stuff. So keep track of your moon phases. If it's a full moon, I'm not saying you're not going to find anything, but everything can see better at night when the moon's full. Exactly. So snakes are not going to be wanting to be seen. Exactly. So 
track your moon phases, track your weather systems, low pressure systems, all that stuff. You notice a lot of our friends and stuff are captive breeders. And if you breed stuff like carpet pythons, you know that when a low pressure system comes through, that's when you want to start pairing your carpets, you know, stuff like that. And there's, there's a reason for that. You know, that low pressure system get thing gets things going, you know, especially during breeding season. It's no different. That's why if you pay attention to your captive collection, you can almost transfer that into the field. If your snakes get ornery, start moving around at a certain time, other stuff might be moving. So, you know, pay attention to what's going on if you if you're a captive keeper, you know. But these are all things you can transfer into the field to to just kind of keep in the back of your mind, you know. Um, I've during... always thought. Sorry. No, go ahead. I've um, I always thought that. Like I've always had that as a correlated thought. Like uh, during summertime, when I do a lot of my road cruising, I'll pay attention to what nights that you know. If like I'll go into my snake room in all the carpets and like, you know, everything's out rocking and rolling, like doing laps in their cage. I'm like, okay, there's something in the atmosphere. There's something going on. And you know, the bigger picture that I'm not feeling and I'm not seeing, I need to go hit the road right now. Yeah. I'm not saying every time it's been great, but there has definitely been correlative times where I've seen my action in my room be high and go out and then see action on the road be high. And I've mentioned it to other herpers before and they've, you know, some of them that have noticed the same thing have also had similar luck. So I would also say that there's something to that, you know, yeah. that's why we, that's why we're also saying, you know, there's a connection between the wild and your, in your collection and bringing that bridge and those connections and the more strands that we can get, the better, for both sides of the coin, it's going to be for herping. Cause we're going to know more cause we're going to have more cues to know about and look for. And then for our collection, cause we're going to know, you know, what to bring in and what could be better for, for the animal. So what did the monitors do during storm sky? So honestly, the monitors, they hunker down, bro. They, um, they usually, their patterns more of like the first five hours of the day they're up when the sun's up the lights are on aka they get all of their morning activity done and then around noon one o'clock they start slowing down chilling getting their last drinks of water for the day getting their last bass checking out the hiding spot if it storms they're usually freaking hiding away taking a nap they know to go for safety hide from the rain come out when it's done and I think that is something that a lot do even in the wild, because like I've herp during a rainstorm and it's weird. Like during the rain, I see pretty much, I'll say three species. Um, during the rain, I always find ribbon snakes. Always. There's been one day to where I literally stopped stopping on the road for ribbon snakes because I wanted to, not because I didn't want to see them, but because I wanted to see what else was there. It was raining and I found probably 13 ribbon snakes in this one stretch of road. And I'm not exaggerating that at all. It was like a light rain. It wasn't pouring rain, but it was light. There are ribbon snakes everywhere. And I've kind of made that correlation. Same thing when I took Chris out that time when he came visiting me, um, there were, we, all we found were two ribbon snakes and it was raining while we were out there. And then me and Smitty were, uh, ro 
road cruising hunt club and it was raining and we found water snakes and one garter and that was it any other time i've gone out there i usually see a i found a copperhead a dead pygmy a cane break couple of cotton mouths you know but those weren't during a rain those were just normal conditions after a rain or something like that um so i think a lot of most of your stuff while it's at, yeah and that skinwalker yeah me and smitty saw something weird out there it was kind of i don't know what it was it was either an albino armadillo or <laughs> something else i don't know but i'll get into that in a little bit um but it was I during a rain. I really don't see much. It's right before and right after that. I usually have a little bit of luck. Um, but on Smitty's Skinwalker thing, so we were shut up, <laughs> shut up, Chris. <laughs> That's not. I don't know why anybody he'll put, you, he'll put you on that shit. No, I don't. I never said those words, so I don't know how that became a thing. Um, but I guess you know, I'll put you on whatever you want, um, especially nothing. Um, but so to Smitty's comment that in that skinwalker, um, we were driving through the woods and on this dirt road in Hunt Club, and I started. I started shining into the woods, you know, and Smitty made a joke and he was like, what would you do if we just saw a lady in white standing there? And I was like, I would floor it. And he just goes, I would shit my pants immediately. <laughs> I like, Dude, but, I remember doing that with my buddies when we were younger. We'd be driving through the middle of the woods. It's pitch black. We'd be like, bro, what would you do right now if a girl just like came out in front of the truck covered in blood? And we're just like freaking ourselves out. Get out of the woods. We need to get out of the woods. Go. It's like, doing <laughs> so while we were driving though i was shining and something caught my eye and it moved i was like what the hell is that so i shined on it and there was this animal that was about armadillo size if you live anywhere in the southeast you know what an armadillo is and um so it's about armadillo size and it was pitch white i'm talking white as the racks in my background here i i mean perfectly white and it would it would just it was kind of walking like an armadillo you know it was all it was low to the ground it was small but it would disappear then it would pop back up for a second walk around and then it would disappear again and then it was gone dude it's probably a possum bro it no it wasn't a possum dude i know i have seen so many possums in my lifetime so many possums they are they have white on them but they're gray this thing almost glowed in my flashlight it was so white I don't mean it was kind of, I'm not saying. <laughs> <laughs> See, Smitty knows. He said, I saw what I saw. That thing was as white as these racks beside me. I am not shitting you, dude. This thing almost glowed when I hit it with a light. I have no idea what it was. I don't know if it was a perfectly white cat that was beep bopping around out there um or what but this thing moved like armadillo it wasn't quick but it kind of just scurried everywhere i don't know i have no idea what it was somebody said skunk and that kind of crossed my mind you don't see a lot of skunks around here but out there i wouldn't be surprised that and i definitely wouldn't be surprised to see a skunk without stripes because i saw this thing full body for like flashes and there was no other colors to it but pitch white you know, and it, I don't know. It was just the it was the weirdest thing. That's when Smitty got all freaked out and <laughs> started talking about the lady in white standing. We need to get out of here, man. 
Oh, it was funny. Brent said, man, was about 15 minutes ago with dog and definitely heard a black bear or deer, which are both very common on our property late night and early morning. Those are two things you got to worry about, man. Not even, you don't have to worry about deer, but sometimes they go rogue when they're running. And you got to watch out for them. And you don't really see bear around here, but Sky, I know you get bears. And Dude. Area. Yeah, I forgot about that observation. The, uh, the second time when I was in the woods, I noticed a new trail that had been cut <laughs> ah. and I was like, okay, that trail wasn't there last time. Let me go check it out. And while I was walking down the trail, it was wide enough for a four wheeler to fit through comfortably oh, like a side by side. Yeah. And, but it was just like all knocked down brush. Some of it was tore up, but it was, there was like no tire marks. And I was like, this is trippy. So I followed it. I took video of all of this. So when we do make a YouTube video, it'll be a cool little observation. But I get to like, I follow it for a while. And I'm like, all right, this is not looking like an actual cut trail. Bro, I get to where it opens up. And it opens up into this massive, like probably 80 yard section of just hugely rooted fresh hog. Like a hog pack just came there and just rooted everything up. I was yeah. like, okay, not a trail. <laughs> I'm riding some fresh hog territory. That's a game trail, my friend. Yeah, I was like, I might just definitely walk down the fresh hog game trail. So I was like, yeah, I need to be careful out here because now I'm going to run into some hogs after I already ran into a black bear. Like, be careful, man. Be careful. I tell you, I think I'd almost <laughs> rather run into a black bear than a hog, dude, because those things are. Yeah, hogs will hogs will attack you. Black they bears they will, are supposed to be scared of you. Yeah, they hogs will fuck you up, dude. I know a guy that was deer hunting. And he shot a big buck and he went down to go get his deer and he was kind of just like looking at it about to try and pick it up. All of a sudden out of nowhere he got slammed and knocked to the ground and he looks up and there's a hog standing there looking at him and he went to go run at him again dude pulled out his pistol and shot it in the head damn and uh dude hogs are nothing to fuck with dude and, and those are everywhere if you're in the southeast i don't know about the rest of north america but i know in the southeast hogs are present especially in your neck of the woods sky because i've been there several times and there's the, that main area right by your house there's these massive pits that used yeah. to hold water and Everything there is just turned up by hogs. Dude. Yeah, dude, it would it basically looked like that, fresh as shit. Like I was like out there at like midday, it looked like all that stuff got rooted up that morning. I was like, ah, yeah. oh, sick. Nah, pigs are those pigs are nothing to be fucked with, man. Um, so that's no, I, I don't mess with it. But <sighs> all right, so. I think yeah. we've spent an hour talking about stories. What else? What else we got on the? Yeah, I got some stuff pulled up. So one of the questions you had asked for the listeners was, you know, what's some ideas for field herping and topics and stuff that they wanted to discuss. And a lot of people put in some good questions. You know, um, I'll kind of go through them relatively quick. I won't spend too much time on them, yeah. but I'll go through a couple and then I can kind of toss them out to you and tell me what you think. But we got. Jack's wanting to know what's the best way to take some high qualities of high quality photos of herps while you're in the field. Um, this was one of the items that I think we either skipped over. or I don't know if we went over it last week, but no, no, a no. collapsible silicone dog bowl. 
is one of the best uh, objects you can bring with you out in the field for getting pictures. And you're thinking, what the hell you use that for? So it collapses so you can store it easily in your backpack and it's lightweight. That's that part. The other part is when you pull it open, now you have a bowl to put over top of a snake or whatever herp you're trying to get a picture of. Put that over top of it. Let it chill out for a second while you're getting your camera and your background and everything all set up. And then that's when you or your buddy pulls the top off and you take your quick little snapshots and that's how you get a really good picture. I've uh, spent 30 or so minute sessions for single animals before where we've sat there, you know, with a bowl and the animal and a backdrop and a lighting and a flash, you know, just getting that perfect angle. But sometimes that's what it takes is getting your camera settings right while the day at the certain time of day or wherever you're at getting your picture. But a really good tool is having a collapsible bowl with you. If you don't have a collapsible bowl, you know, any kind of old Tupperware or something like that, uh, an, uh, a water bowl for a dog, anything like that can be used as a cover item to take pictures. Obviously, a high resolution camera is going to be your best bet if you can afford, you know, a good Canon yeah. or a Sony or Samsung and get some lens. That's always going to be your best option. But if you can't, you guys, iPhone does some cool things. Samsung does some cool things. I've taken some crazy quality photos when you kind of go in and mess with your settings or just go to a different setting other than photo. Yeah. So there's, and that's, I'm glad you brought that up because the way I took that was more of a camera thing. And I used to do a bit of photography that was in a past life and I got pretty good at it, but I don't have my camera anymore for reasons i'm not going to get into um i have a camera here but it's an older one and i can't get a battery charger for it for some fucking reason because it's old um but that is a big thing if you're into taking pictures definitely invest in a good camera um you don't have to spend a ton uh but your base you know dslr cameras your nikon and your canons your cheaper ones are going to run anywhere from maybe three to five six hundred dollars and that's just for the camera you're gonna spend another depending on the quality of lens you get because the lens is going to go a whole lot farther than you guys realize if you're not in photography and your lens is just as or more expensive than your camera um so if you want to do that definitely do a lot of research there's a lot of really good like field cameras out there you know there's certain ones Nikon and Canon both make stuff that are really good for, you know, birding, you know, stuff that might be moving when you try and take a picture of it. Um, Cause that's a lot of things. Snakes a lot of times don't sit perfectly still. They'll be moving ever so slightly, even if it's like in the wind type of thing. So take some, get something that if you're looking for a camera, get something that has a very fast shutter speed and can, you know, get you the photo that you want. Um, I have a little bit of experience with cameras, but not a lot but your lens goes a long way. Your camera body gets something that is, you know, good. Um, Canon actually makes a camera that actually tracks the eye. You know, you put it on, it's like a bird mode or something. It actually tracks the eyes of anything you want. And that's actually where you want to focus. So if you're actually getting into photography, that that is a point to make. If you have a point focus camera you know where to focus you always want to focus on that eye because that's the thing that's going to get you know blown out or blurry first so put your focus on the eye and that will 
that'll do you pretty good. Um, and Scott said, uh, my lenses are 25 years old. I replace the SLR bodies every four years. And that's that, that goes to show like your DSLRs or your cameras and stuff. They, they can last well, but your lenses are they, your, your SLR bodies, there's always stuff being upgraded. Your cameras don't last that long, but your lenses can last a very long time if you take care of them and you get the right lens you're going to spend an arm and a leg doing it but when you get the right one you can take very very high quality photos i have some really good shots from back in the day when i used to do a lot of that um and i really want to get back into it eventually right now it's just not in the cards um so flash is another yeah important thing to bring it in with that, a huge you thing. Know, your lens your flash and just getting your settings that you're of your camera yeah, you know, dialed in for what type of pictures you're taking. So, yeah. And some people don't like to do it, but investing in a good editing software like Lightroom can also go a long way. So if you take a photo, that's a little too dark. Um, I wasn't big on severely editing my photos because I feel like that takes away, you know, some of the quality of your picture. Um, but if you take something, you want to just kind of, up the brightness or your saturation anything like that you know a good editing software can go a long way scott says he uses three flashes in his case a flash goes a really long way you know and you know one like aiden had where it actually has a cover over it yeah makes the flash softer that works so well when i was photographing like in my snake room I would actually I had an external flash and I would point it against the wall and it, that flash would bounce off the wall and create a very soft lighting on it and made for a really, really good photo. You don't want super harsh flash on it that can, you know, give you glares and sharp yeah. lights and stuff. Yeah. It's, it's not as good quality. So if you can invest in something that's like a soft lighting, that's really good too. Um, but I think we beat that dead horse enough. Okay. So, time? Another one we have is discussing habitat loss in certain areas and field collecting in those areas to preserve a certain locality of a certain species. This is from Preston. And I know I that's think that was probably the best question, but also the hardest question. Yeah. So honestly, with that, you really got to think about the ethics of the area, the species itself. And, you know, really just looking at the big picture of things, I think if you're looking at a, a smaller area, like a, say in a city, that's, I don't know, pretty decent populated and it's a whole new city coming up in an area that's close to a, a nature preserve. There's probably going to be a high population of animals in the surrounding area, even if it gets cleared out. So is you going in and collecting a couple animals to preserve as a collective as a, a safety collection really going to do anything? I think it would be more of your personal. That's something more for you as a personal thing, because there there's going to be a surrounding population still in that area. Now, if you're talking about an area that is completely, you know, covered in city and there's only this last little bit of habitat and that's about to be turned into more city. Then I feel like, okay, 
if there is any more snakes out here or whatever reptile it is you're after, if there is any more out there and the population has already diminished and there's already been this much population built up around the area, they're probably killed off by roadkill and by now and everything. Yeah. If you can go out into that area and find, you know, that locality of area that's left over, then I feel like you'd be doing something. But if you're just going into an area that's just starting to get populated near, you know, say it's near an animal preserve or just near open private property that's going to still be holding a good population of the animal, I don't think it's ethically right for you to go in and think that you're doing something by collecting a few animals and breeding them. Because at the end of the day, there's still going to be some in the wild. But if you're looking at a, you know, overrun area and this is the last little speck of land this is central square park and they're about to pour it up and put the last little bits of apartments up but you know there's a couple snakes that you can go out there and flip save those things man that would be ethical yeah and i think with that we also need to specify don't collect stuff with the intentions of re-releasing okay there's there's very specific now if you are equipped to do something like that absolutely that's awesome you know but there are you don't in your main collection you shouldn't just be catching snakes to re-release babies because there's things in your collection that you may not know about pathogens anything like that that you can be putting into the wild now if you are equipped to keep them completely separate it's its own space and you're goal is to re-release that's a different story but there's a lot of specifications about that and not even something that i'm qualified to tell you about um so much as a professional if that's something you're interested in doing now with that said there's if that's not on the aspect and you're more so just talking about field collecting in general there's a couple things you need to take into the matter like you said if it's a small area that's about to get leveled and you happen to go out there and you find some stuff and you want to collect, it's probably going to die either way. So if you want to collect that, depending on the species, of course, if you're allowed to keep it, all these, keep your local laws in mind. If you are allowed to do this, this is all legal. Then I don't really see a problem with that. Now, if you are on a WMA in a national forest, now, especially in a national forest, if you're in a national forest or wildlife refugee area, you're not really supposed to take anything. So, don't field collect because those are preserved for those animals. Leave them be. Um, take your pictures, move on, interact with them, whatever. Try not to field collect. Now, if you're in a public area, I think it really it really depends on the species. Now, if if you know, obviously people field collect for locality projects and all that. I've done it. I'm one of those guys that works localities. Some of these localities wouldn't be here without them. So it's kind of where your mindset is on it. If you're in a public area, populations are high. I think yellow rats are a pretty easy example. There's no shortage of yellow rats, yellow rats basically anywhere. So taking a couple yellow rats isn't going to hurt the population. You can establish a cool locality for the hobby. I'm not going to tell you that you should do it, but I'm also not going to tell you that you shouldn't, you know, it's not going to hurt anything. But it's if you're in a, yeah, if if you find now if you're in that area and you find something really rare, really hard to find, please don't take it. Leave it. You know, those things need to stay established in that 
area, you know, stuff like where pine snakes are hard to come by. Don't take pine snakes. You know, in my area, Eastern diamondbacks are hard to come by. So if you're in a certain area and you find an Eastern diamondback, don't take it. Leave don't it to it. be established in that area. Yeah. Don't kill it. Don't take it. You know, none of that stuff because we need those things in our ecosystem. And the more that get taken out, that's one less that's going to be out there, not breeding, not reproducing and populating that area, you know? Um, so it's kind of, it's definitely a situation and place by place kind of thing is absolutely. I probably worded it horribly, but that's kind of like, just, you got to, it's only ethical depending on species and area because right. if for it to be ethical is, you know, it has to have a purpose behind it. And if, unless you can have a rock solid purpose behind what you're doing, then you're only just doing it for yourself. Right. So once and you there- figure that out, then you need to figure out what, whatever the species is, what the actual, like Jake saying, if it's a rat, a yellow rat snake, you taking two of them or three of them, it's probably that many is going to get ran over in a certain area that week anyways. So it's probably not going to hurt the population. But if we're talking, you know, a heavily city area that's, you know, about to be leveled, they were going to die. So you can say you did something. Right. So if I'm, if there's an area that the only area in your county holds pine, let's say pine snakes, you know, pine snakes are rare where I'm at, you know, but if there's this patch of area that I know holds pine snakes, I know it's about to be leveled and built into something. I wouldn't have an issue taking every pine snake I could find. No, you know, I'd be out there. Sure freaking, it survives. Yeah. You know? I'd be out there road cruising, flipping, hiking, whatever I can. Right. But if I'm in a WMA, I know there can be pine snakes there, but they're kind of hard. And I happen to find one. You can bet your sweet tits. I'm not taking it. I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna love seeing that animal and observing it in its natural habitat and being so stoked to find it. But I would never even consider taking it, you know? Um, And Jack made a good point. Make sure you can keep something alive. If you take it too, that's a big thing. Don't, if you don't, if you're not equipped to take care of that animal, because wild caught animals are a whole different ball game than something captive bred. You're, you're, you got to know what you're doing with those in that aspect. And, you know, make sure, you know, you have the right. quarantine area. You got to yeah. be able to, if you do have a collection already, you got to be able to keep it away for a certain amount of time. Keep your collection safe. Keep that animal safe from your collection. It's definitely a lot more than just going out and catching some snakes and bringing them into your house. Yeah, there's a whole process to it, you know, of being hands off, you know, quarantining properly, treating the animal after a certain time. Don't treat it right away. You know, you have to realize what's inside of that snake. And over time, yes, you might want to get it out, but you also don't want to just nail it with all this shit immediately to try and get it parasite free. From no, plug into your breeding program. That's not an okay thing to do. You will kill that thing immediately. Um, so just just know what you're getting into when it comes to stuff like that, you know. And if you don't know what you're doing, leave it to the guys who do and get some captive bred offspring later on. You know? Always go captive bred if you can. So along with that, um, in the same comment that Preston left, 
Um, he said, also, what can we do to further prevent these losses? And I think by that, he means like habitat losses. And that's a really hard question. I've been thinking about it all week since he posted that. I've been thinking about, you know, yeah. how to, how, how can we help that? And some of the other things I can think of are supporting your local areas who, you know, foundations, anything like that, or even as simple as if you were, if you're like me and you herp WMAs, go get your public land hunting license. I don't remember the exact, exact term, but if you hunt public land, you have to have a certain hunting license that says you can do that. So if you're going on WMAs, get that support your WMAs, you know, that's, it's not a lot of money. It's like 15 bucks, you know, but get it and support those things because all that money goes back into the WMA. And so make sure you're doing that because if technically you don't have to have it to go out there because you're not hunting, you're looking for snakes, whatever, but that money goes towards the WMAs and it keeps them going. We need areas like that to stay there and stay sustained and they need funds from us. So if there's a way to support your local refugees, your WMAs, you know, do that to make sure they stay there. You can say, yes, you're one person, you know, what's my one hunting license going to do in the grand scheme of things. If everybody said that we would be fucked. But if a hundred thousand people don't say that, then we're not. Exactly. You know? So there, there's a lot more that goes into it, you know? Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that sky? You know, how, how can we help habitat loss in our local areas? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I couldn't even come up with a good answer. So I was going to just skip that part of the, <laughs> <laughs> uh, dude, I honestly, I don't know. That's one of the biggest defeating things I feel is, um, what do we even do as a, you know, for habitat loss? And, you know, part of me thinks, you know, Hey, let's go out there and tear apart some of this construction equipment and fight back the real way, fight fire with fire. But you know, that's not going to do anything. That's only going to get people in trouble. So I really don't know, man. I, it's all, a lot of this stuff is put into plan and put into stone a lot longer. And before it's even put in, you know, before they put equipment to the ground. So us going out there and trying to, say stop it isn't really doing much so no i really don't, don't know for the the habitat last part of stuff that, that's such a big that's such a big fight man I, right and it's hard because money talks yeah you know, and i mean if, we're if just somebody throws guys, we, we yeah. can't even get enough money through us arc together with the whole community but we're supposed to all come together to stop habitat loss it's definitely hard yeah and volunteering Jack, for cleanups that's a good way to do yeah, it you know and I donate mean. to nonprofits. you know you you have to do what you can man like you're one person you can only do so much but again if a lot of people do their minimum that makes a big big impact you know volunteer for river cleanups donate to nonprofits. those are those are really good things to help fight the good fight you're not going to do anything by going out there and chaining yourself to a tree it's no. not going to do any good, you know, and at the end of the day, money talks. And if you have these contractors paying millions and millions of dollars to put a Starbucks in this one cleared or in this piece of property that houses these specific frogs or these specific turtles or this specific snake, you know, there's not much we can do, but we can do something. 
and you have you have to do something you know you not doing anything isn't helping anything you know so donate to what you can volunteer where you can help where you can and it's it's something you know um and and you know and robert makes a good point you know you know, vote vote for the politician you think will actually help you i'm not a big political guy um but vote for the right guy you know it, it's it's a it's a hard that's a hard i'm not going to touch on that a whole lot because that's a hard thing to discuss um but if there's somebody that promotes that kind of thing there usually aren't but if there is maybe vote for them you know um but i don't know yeah dude it's just one of those it's, bigger it's, things that we don't really have control of that we would need yeah. lawyers and millions of dollars for yep developers with money always win as mike yep. said um but and then but also scott made a good point um you know back on the field collecting thing he said read the road roadkill comment if you take three and three still die on the road that's six gone from the ecosystem versus three the question is if that population can sustain additional loss of those predators that's a very good point and something to think about. So if you take something, that's something else that's gone on top of the stuff that's going to get run over. So that's yeah. going to happen. You're going to get a lot of roadkill. So think about that kind of thing. Stuff's always going to get run over. And if you just say, oh, it's going to die anyways, that's not necessarily true. You know, your your adults have a better survival rate than the babies. Um, you know, as far as survival, not by humans. Um, but you know, as far as that goes, yeah, you're right. I found a million snakes dead on the road, but I've also not collected a bunch of snakes that I have that I've caught. So, you know, and like he said, it's all about species specific. Can the ecosystem support, you know, you taking the there? Can the ecosystem support six being gone versus three? So it's something you need to realize. And that's also why we also want to promote getting out there and seeing what's there, you know, like to know your local area and know what's abundant in your area, especially if you have any intentions on field collecting. I'm not big on field collecting. Yes. I work with a lot of locality animals. I did not collect the large majority I have before. I am okay to admit that, but it's also been stuff that I know for a fact, 1000% are very, very, well sustained in my area um that's not not a question so yeah just just something to think about if you want to field collect um just wanted to touch on that one more time um yeah that's a that's those were both loaded loaded questions yeah they're, they're definitely loaded questions um but we're gonna move on because we are getting up to an hour and a half so we need to keep this keep this ball rolling um, Zach with Queen City Constrictors asked how to plan herping trips away from home, like how to find herping spots. I went to San Diego last year, got really lucky to meet some avid field herpers and got to see a ton of the Southwest species thanks to them. Um, this one can be kind of a quick go over um, planning as far as areas. I think we talked about it a little bit in episode one. If you want to herp an area, go on Google Maps, go to some type of overview map to where you can look at areas, find roads that are kind of secluded away from 
houses and developments and all that. That's a good way to scope out roads. You can find trash piles on Google Maps and stuff like that. Locate those. Go check them out. Make sure you're on public land, places you're allowed to be, public roads if you're road cruising. Um, that's a good way to plan that out. If you're planning something out, you can do the same thing. Like if you want to go to a certain area in Florida, kind of look around that area a lot and see. Use your where, INAT. Yeah, INAT's also a really good thing. Um, so that's a really good way to kind of just get a little gauge on stuff. Yeah. And if you want to explore it, but you don't have a specific area in mind, if you're in the hobby, you know, talk to people out of your state. You know, if you want to go to say, you know, if I go to Florida all the time, I don't really go to Florida just exploring by myself. I know people in certain areas of Florida and I want to go see them and they know areas. So if you know people in those areas, definitely start with that. They're going to know the area better than anybody else. So definitely hit up people locally. Locals are definitely the best way to go. Um, but if you happen to be on a family vacation, you got some time, you don't know anybody in the area, pull up your maps and look for secluded roads, trash piles, you know, stuff like that. It can be, it can be productive. Um, so something to think about for that. Um, our buddy Ryan Cox said, talk about the ethics of leaving cover. I know some people hate the idea of leaving tin, uh, PVC sheets, or old carpet to attract herps. Say you're ruining the environment with human garbage. So that one, we again, we talked about that a little bit in episode one. But I think with that, if it's already there, you know, we talked about the micro habitats, micro ecosystems under all of those things. If it's already there, it's already established. I'm personally not going to remove it, but I'm also not going to add to it unless it's my private property and I'm putting out pieces of tin, something that's not hurting anything, but it's providing habitat. Um, but if something's already there, unless it's a threat to the ecosystem, then I will remove it. But it's something that's not a threat to our ecosystem, then I will go explore it, flip it over, all that stuff. But then again, of course, make sure you put it back exactly the way you found it. You know, again, we talked about that. And we're going to beat that dead horse for the years that we do this podcast. Always put your stuff back when you're out herping, whether it's a rug, a piece of tin, you know, a, a rock, you know, a, a car hood, um, any of those things. Just put them back the way you found it. You know, it's the big thing. Don't add to it, especially if it's public land. It's not private property, um, you know. So make sure you know what you're doing. If you're going to be placing stuff out there, you know, make sure it's your property. You have permission to do it um, if you're actually placing stuff. But I don't really see anything being wrong with not removing certain pieces that are creating their own ecosystem. Um, again, if it's not hurting the actual environment. Um so that's that's a good thing to live by. Always put your stuff back. That's the biggest thing, though, to take from anything. Always put it back the exact way you found it to the best of your ability. Chaz had sent a little chat and mentioned um, being careful using the iNaturalist and what you post and stuff, just species-wise yeah, area-wise, sure. because a lot of poachers also use that mm -hmm. um, site. So. Using that site responsibly is key because it could be used as a weapon as much as it could be used as a tool. Absolutely. So just be, just be responsible with your resources and, you know, with what you're doing and where you're herping and, 
yeah, be res- be respectful to the environment, even if it is a trash pile, because that trap one man's trash is another animal's mansion. Remember and that, and another herper's treasure. And it's, a, it's <laughs> our treasure, but it's a you yeah. know, it's an ecosystem, regardless exactly. of what it looks like. It's an ecosystem because it's yeah. now been laid out there for other animals to use. So, like Jake saying, you know, we talked about it in the first episode. When you flip something, there's usually a outline of where it was flipped you can put it back in the outline yeah um scott said i use hurt mapper rather than inat due to poaching hurt mappers is something that i'm semi-familiar with i've never used it myself but i had a buddy that used it a lot hurt mapper is a good one it's you know basically for herpers um so that's something good to check out I don't use INAT for that exact reason. Like I don't, I use INAT for my benefit, but I don't post on INAT at all. Never have, probably never will because of that exact reason. I don't want people, number one, knowing my spots. Number two, knowing where to find a certain species if they're looking to collect it. Um, so something to think about. Um, but moving on from that. Um, we got one. What's your process of finding new areas to herp? That, that's kind of the same. I like, yeah, I feel like same thing. You know, to, already. Yeah, using sure. those techniques. I had, you had some other questions that I was wanting to bring up that some people were hitting on too, which was, what do you prefer more, road cruising or hiking? And that was another question I asked for everybody. Yeah, yeah, and I feel like not only that's a very loaded question because I take that in you know, you hit on it, um, time of day, time of year and whatever weather front may be coming through because, you know, you, I feel like we've heard together enough to where, you know, I could talk as, as one, like we use the same technique, but basically, you know, we'll, we will literally change up our strategy throughout the day, throughout the weekend, throughout whatever area we're hitting based off of our target and, you know, just based off the weather pattern. So, you know, you got to not only know your area, know what you're looking for, but know what's going to work best. You know, if we're, if it just rained and we're wanting to cover a good area and, you know, we only have an hour and a half, two hours before it gets dark, why would we go out on foot? We're getting in our car and we're going to go road cruise as much, you know, blacktop and, you know, dirt roads as we can before it gets dark. If it's first thing in the morning and, you know, the sun's coming up and we're coming up on the first, we're an hour, two hours before the prime heat of the day, I'm going to want to be out on foot scoping around, you know, different areas, seeing what's coming out for the day while it's still a little bit cold, you know, coming out to find its basking spot rather than it already being charged up and out on the move. So knowing the time of day, knowing, you know, what pressure front or weather front you have coming and what time of year. It's all going to vary on what's going to work best for you. For me, summertime and late spring is when I am road cruising the most because I can cover a ton more ground. And, you know, it's not only is it super hot out in Florida, so trudging around in that weather kills me, but you also have a lot more luck because stuff's warm and it's moving. So you also, you also don't, like even during the prime months, I never rode cruise like at, at noon. No, I don't, no, I don't no, road nighttime. cruise in the nighttime. middle of the day. You know, that's, that's when, when it's 
prime time season, middle of spring. It's getting cold in the eve, kind of cold in the evenings, but getting really warm during the day. That's when I'll do both. I'll spend the late morning throughout the whole day hiking. And Scott made a good point. You learn more by hoofing it. You know, when you're out there walking around, you learn a lot more about your environment, about the snakes, what they're doing, all that. Um, so definitely take the time to hike and get boots on the ground and all that. But during those prime, that prime month of spring, I'll hike during the day. And then as soon as I'm done with my hike, sun's going down. Road cruise. I time. hit the road cruise. So my, your, your golden, there's a golden hour. That golden hour is 30 minutes before, 30 minutes after sunset. That's when you're going to see the most movement. Now, I have seen stuff an hour before sunset and up to an hour, hour and a half after sunset. So there's nothing to say. You're not, if once you cruise that hour, you can be done. You definitely find stuff late, a little later into the night, a little earlier, you know, out there. So my thing is about, I usually don't go out in an hour before sunset. You know, I'll go about 30, 45 minutes before sunset and cruise that kind of dusk time. Um, an hour, you know, sometimes an hour just really depends on the day. Um, but you know, after sunset, give it a, a solid hour once the sun is down to go and you'll see stuff and you'll see it drop off, you know, as somebody who has road cruised for miles on miles on miles, I've had days that, you know, we caught, we found 20, 30 snakes road cruising. But as soon as that 30 minutes to an hour after sunset hits, it's like everything cuts off. And you'll see the occasional copperhead, maybe maybe the occasional water snake, something like that. But you really see numbers drop off once you hit a certain time in the evening. Don't bother road cruising at 3 a.m. You know, you yeah. might find sometimes during the summer I will have there's like those second waves at yeah. night though, where you'll have, you know, what you're talking about exactly, where you'll have that real prime hour, hour and a half, and then it'll drop off. But then right around 9 30, 10 o'clock you'll have another hour, hour two period where stuff moves again. And that's usually right before the dew point in the middle of the night starts to come, right. come through and hit all the trees and the grass and everything. So you'll see that little bit of movement then. So I, I normally tend to freaking log it out and haul it out. And I'll actually, I usually road cruise till around 10 or 11. And then yeah. usually when it's around 10 or 11 and I haven't seen nothing for 30 minutes to an hour, that's when I'm pulling the plug, but yeah. yeah and, that, and, that's, and that's more your late summer stuff. Yeah, but yeah, that's great. all, that's all summer, midsummer when you got your, you know, your, your, your heat index at night, you could go out and laser temp the ground and it's still right. 79, 80 degrees. So. Right. You know, so those times of year is definitely good. And even then, like, you know, so we're talking North America here, Scott's in the chat and um, he said <laughs> we still get snakes moving at 3am here in Australia. And that's, you know, know where you're at. You know, we're talking North American herpers and, you know, all this stuff in Australia. It gets very, very hot. And there are more nocturnal species in Australia. So you get snakes moving at 3 a.m. and stuff like that. So know your area, you know, know the type of species you're looking for. You know, at 3 a.m. here, even dead summer, there's not going to be a lot of stuff moving. The right. only place I can guarantee to catch a snake at 3 a.m. in Florida would be the Everglades, and it's going to be a Burmese, Burmese python, python or a water snake. Exactly. And I've caught the latest I've caught a Burmese python was, I think, like five in the morning. And 
the latest I've caught a water snake was probably like saying like four or five in the morning. So those things are up all night in the middle of the summer and they usually hunker away and sleep during the middle of the day when it's boiling out. So that's the other thing is that because that's the other thing when you're hiking, if it's in the middle of the summer, you haven't had a rain in several days, it's, you know, 100 degrees out feels like it's 110 if you're in the southeast. I don't really bother hiking those days because no. I'm just going to be miserable because that's, it's another thing to kind of think about. If you go out there and you're hot and you're hot, they're hot. If it's hot to you, it's hot to them. You know, um, that it's, you know, you got to keep that in mind. If you're cold, they're probably cold, you know? So it's something to keep in mind. You know, we definitely want to condone getting out there. If you just want to get out, then yeah, go out there and just enjoy nature, be happy in it. But if you're out there looking for snakes and it's 110 degrees out, you're probably not going to find much. You're wasting your time. Yeah. But again, it depends on species. Now, if you're doing that, know how to find them. It's not to say they're not there, but you got to know exactly where to look, you know, and and how to find them in extreme temperatures. Mid spring last year, I think it was April. It's either April or yeah, I think it was April. Mid April is when Preston and Aiden were down. And we caught that female coach whip out sunning at, I think it was like 1110 in the morning, Mm -hmm. 1110 on the dot, not like 11 or 10. And I think the outside temp was 92 degrees. Mm -hmm. So the sand temp was probably 115, if not hotter. And that snake was out basking, fully charged up, ready to go. So like Jake's saying, know your species because there might be that one or two things that you have a small one or two hour window before you hit peak, peak, peak the other day where you can go out and see some stuff, but there's no point in being out when it's a hundred degrees at one 30 in the afternoon, you know, boiling your balls. If I'm trying to hurt midsummer, I'm going out first thing in the morning because stuff, because like, again, midsummer, your things are going to be moving late at night, really early in the morning. Like so I'm sunrise. gonna go out. Yeah, I'm going out at sunrise if I'm trying to find a snake, and I'm herping till 10, 11 o'clock. Because by twelve, it's getting hot. By three o'clock, it's baking, baking out there, and everything's gonna be tucked away. You know, so stuff to keep in mind. Time of year, storm fronts. Now again, middle of the summer. If a big storm comes through, you can bet your sweet ass I'm gonna be out there. Oh yeah, absolutely, I'm gonna be out there. Yeah. Um, but so again, just keep track of your weather patterns, your your moon phases, you know, all that stuff. Um, it's it's good things, good thing to know. Um, so you know, you got guys that are more road cruising oriented, some guys that are more hiking oriented. There's nothing wrong with either one. Try to do both, but know which one's going to be more more active for the time of day you want to go and all that. Um, and again, Scott said some stuff specializes in the middle of the day in the summer, know your target. So know, (laughs) know your target. Fucking Mary Boppins. That's me, baby. (laughs) Oh God. No. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely know your target. Basically what we're saying is, you know, we're agreeing with everything that, you know, Scott and everyone in the chat saying, you know, you can take away a lot more and learn a lot more about your environment by, throwing the boots on the ground. You can cover a lot more area 
and accomplish a lot more if you're hitting the road at the right times in the right periods. So, and I, with all that said, I have definitely found way more snakes road cruising than I have hiking. I found a ton of snakes hiking. Don't get me wrong. I've hiked up a lot of snakes. I flipped a lot of snakes, but road cruising has always been way more productive for me. Yeah. Same. Plus you get to sit in a truck with AC. So, yeah, you know, but that's uh, why you gotta, that's why you gotta have the best of both worlds and mix it up and do the hiking and hiking in the morning, road cruising at night and mix it up. So you get both. Absolutely. Um, so I think that's about the questions that we got the most interactiveness out of at least people who had questions for us. Yeah. Uh, we had a lot of people answer questions that I was asking for your personal thing, like locations and all that. So if you're curious about anything like that, check out the page, go through some of the people's comments, asked about locations, um, you know, non-snake herps that you want to find or some of your favorite ones to find, you know, so Check out the check out the page if you're interested in any of that. We're not going to go over it on the episode because we're running a little low on time. Um, did we want to hit some equipment stuff? That yeah, because yeah. Well, before you talk about some of the stuff you got that you had just got in, um, a couple things that we either skipped over or forgot to mention last week was the one that I wanted to bring up to bring in the hurt pack was the. Um, collapsible dog bowl for helping you uh, yeah. take your pictures and then um, another um, listener I think it was Hunter he had messaged in talking about the life straw that is going to be a super key thing to keep in your pack while you're out herping you know depending on what area you're in if you do run out of water or you know you get especially yourself if you're park. on like an extended trip yeah if like you're, you're going to be out in the desert for a week yeah, yeah weekend or, or three to five days that's that thing that'll literally it's a life straw it's called that for a reason so that's a good cheap investment and you know you could always if you get yourself in a bind you could always refill a whole water bottle with that doing like a you know slurp and spit technique so keep your mind open to whatever options you can use to survive out in the woods. Um, damn, there was another one that I totally spaced on, <laughs> but there was like three more equipment pieces, <laughs> the, the classical water bowl, the life straw and something else. I'll probably brain fart it, but <laughs> it'll pop up into my brain. But um, yeah, I forget what else we wanted to go over. Well, Mike asked in the chat, what's the smallest snake you've ever spotted road cruising? My personal smallest was a pinewood snake that was all of maybe four inches, five inches, something like that. And it was funny when I found that I actually stopped for another really small species. It was a rough earth snake. I spotted it and it was small, but then I just happened to look up and I shined my light and there's another itty bitty little snake I saw up there. I ran over that thing was, you know, anywhere from three to five inches long. Um, so that was, that was my smallest species for sure. <laughs> the chat's getting me on the whole slurp technique, bro. Y'all, <laughs> y'all ain't never done the slurp and spin. <laughs> <laughs> it's a live straw technique. You guys look it up. All right. It's not a life straw technique. It's guys life technique, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god 
Um, if you but, die uh, while herping freehanders. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. So what equipment did you get in so far? So I've since the first episode, I went I went a little bonkers with getting my pack ready because I got this. The first episode just got me so hyped for everything. Um, I went and spent way too much money on a bunch on a bunch of shit. Um, but I'm also very happy with it. I'm, I'm real, real good with where I've gotten. So the first thing I got was the same backpack you have. Um, it's a, also Teton. doubles as a camelback. You said Teton. Yep. Okay. I definitely pronounced that wrong. I was looking at it as Tenton. It could um, be Tenton. I, I don't know how to read. Teton. T-E-T-O-N. Teton. Teton. I don't know. So it's basically, it's a backpack that also has a water reservoir in it. So it's a camelback backpack kind of duo. It's awesome. I really, really like it. Um, it's got a little whistle on one of the things there. And uh, yeah, it's really comfy, lightweight, a lot of storage, and you it's got a camelback. So Justin said <laughs> with monster. Dude, we maybe we you will. He's gonna be out there doing deforestation, just punching trees down left <laughs> and right. <laughs> yeah, I'll go full Kyle. Oh my um, god. So that was the first thing I wanted to add. It was a good bag with, you know, water capacity in it. So that was great. I got that in. It's awesome. Um, I used it the other week while I was out there in the field. Um, the other thing I ordered with that was, so I, I did some, we talked about a first aid kit on here last week, um, which by the way, if you haven't listened to the first episode, definitely check that out. Um, you know, we go over a lot more stuff about equipment and all that. And, um, so I was doing some looking on Amazon for a good first aid kit. Again, first aid kits, you can put together yourself. You don't have to buy one, but Amazon actually has a lot of options for really cheap. I'm talking like 10, 12 bucks. And you're probably going to put that into making your own first aid kit. So I got a first aid kit that came with this nice carry case. It's got, you know, a zipper on it. It's water resistant and all that. And it's like, uh, let me find it it's like a 120 piece kit or something like that um it works really well and it hap just so happens to fit perfectly in the front of the bag that i got so it just worked out even better um so i got that it's got a ton ton of stuff in it from scissors to um you know this mini um i can't think of the the, the name right now something the the thing that you put out if you got a cut on your forearm you put it on your bicep to stop the blood flow as much oh yeah um, uh, I don't, tourniquet tourniquet yes it's got like a mini tourniquet in it um bunch of band-aids all the stuff um that it comes <laughs> with <laughs> and i <laughs> Jack also comes with an eye patch comes with big band-aids so you know push comes to show i can do that um <laughs> <laughs> so uh i got that but it's got a ton of equipment in it and it's got the like i said it's got like a water resistant case on it it works really well and i went and bought my own little thing of advil and i poured it into a bag and shoved that in there because i'd be getting headaches when i'm in the sun for too long um so that's in there and i also want to get some benadryl throw in there but it's got a ton of stuff but amazon has a lot of like 
handheld options, you know, really sm in small bags, stuff that can fit in your backpack. Um, so check that out. If you don't feel like putting your own together, it's probably going to cost about the same at the end of the day. Um, like I said, this one's even got a mini pair of scissors, you know, all types of like long, like those, the bandage that you can actually wrap around. That's also got band-aids. So I went and picked that up because it was like, I think the one I got was 12 bucks, you know? Yeah, I think they're 10 or 12 bucks. Yeah. They're, they're super cheap and fits perfectly in the, in the bag. So I got that along with the backpack. Um, and then I bought a new headlamp and a new flashlight. Um, both of them are made by coast. Um, I got the headlamp in and I like the headlamp so much. I also ordered a flashlight cause I want another flashlight. Um, so the headlamp is sick, um, with the coast. I went with Dustin's recommendation on that. Um, with the coast, it's got four different settings. It's got a, a low, a medium and a high, and then it's got a, um, I don't remember what they call it. Like, it's like a nitro almost you hold it down and it gets really bright and it's sick it's it's really really bright you're gonna run out of battery really quick with that jake said um, put it on or uh, jack <laughs> it's in my bedroom if y'all really want me to do that i can go grab it but it's in the other room at the moment <laughs> uh <laughs> so that's really awesome it was one of their brighter ones um so it, it, it's it's awesome i actually used it the other night i was outside grilling in the dark and i was like ooh. I can use my headlamp. So I put I got that a headlamp on and I was using that to flip chicken and stuff. It was awesome, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, so that works really well. And the other cool thing about the coast is the light on the headlamp, you can actually take that off and it can also work as a handheld light if you want. Um, so that was cool. Like I said, four different settings on it. And the cool thing about the coast <clears throat> is, you know, we talked a little bit about regular batteries versus rechargeable batteries this comes with both so if you order certain ones don't come with the rechargeable battery but with the one i got it comes with this big battery that you can charge by itself to run the headlamp and then it comes with this cylinder that you can put um triple a batteries into to replace that it's like this big set like the battery itself is like you know that big around but it comes with a cylinder that you put triple A's into and it's the same size and you can run your light based on that. That's so cool. it's kind of, I thought it was really cool. You, it doesn't have to be one or the other. So my plan is to charge up the main battery and when I go on a trip. Backup. Yep. And then have the backup batteries with that. I also bought a big, big pack of triple A batteries to keep in my bag. Fuck yeah. Um, so that was awesome. And then the handheld flashlight I got is also made by coast. That's really cool. Um, it's again, it's got the same three different settings on it. It's super bright. And on both of them, you can actually, you can, I'm not going to call it a zoom, but you can make it more of a bullseye or a broad strip spectrum. Yeah. The, so you, you can the, make it really broad or you can zoom in and have it more, you know, honed in on what one they call that scoping or. Funny. Yeah. It's like a scope or something like yeah. that. Um, telescoping so uh, you can do that with both of them with the headlamp you just turn turn a knob and it focuses on the flashlight you actually pull it out and it'll go where you want and then on the flashlight when you do that you can turn it and it'll lock into place so you can't pull it in or out again 
Jack um, the Shaft back and forth. Oh my God. I can't with you. Uh, <laughs> but um, the lumens on it, Jack, I'd have to look. I think it was like 1250 or something, right? The headlamp I got is no, the headlamp I got was 2075. Okay. Um, so 2075. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Cause you, you were debating on which one you should get. And I was like, bro, get the big one. What are you Yeah. Scared? Just, yeah. I spent the little extra money, got the more powerful one. Um, but again, that only works when it's on like super mode, you know, you hold it down. That's the brightest it gets. Or like Chris um, said, ludicrous mode. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then the flashlight, I don't remember, but I know it's very similar, if not the same. Um, it might even be more. I can't remember. I might have to pull that up. The flashlight's very bright. Um, I actually just found the first aid kit I got. It's doesn't say how many pieces there is, but there's a bunch. Um, but there's pieces in it. Yeah, there's a lot. So, but yeah, the flashlight itself, very, also very bright. As soon as, I get, as soon as I get some more play money, I'm going to be getting that Phoenix yeah. shit in. Oh yeah. Because we I freaking, compare those. For the light I want and the headlamp I want, it's going to be close to like, I think it's like 400 and something bucks. So. Hey, Lee. Oh, da, 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 da. Yeah. That's no. why I was like, all right, yeah. When I, when I get another good paycheck, I'll buy it. <laughs> and that's also why I decided to go with Coast because there's a lot of good reviews on it. A lot of people swear by them and they were a little bit more affordable than Phoenix. Yeah. Um, and I'm a cheap bastard. So I had to get what I could afford at the time. Um, it's cool, bro. You so, wanted to buy the cheap one first, so I had no option but to get the expensive one for the we. Cheaper. You already said you wanted Phoenix, so I was like, I guess no, that no, means I gotta cool. get close. Yeah, cool. I'll shell it out for the yeah, Phoenix. Then we can fine. trade. Yeah. <laughs> no, they. I'm really excited to use them. Um, I have a flashlight that stays in my truck. It's a Bushnell, but it's really small. It's not that bright. It dies really fast. So. I wanted a new flashlight to keep in my bag and then have my other one in the truck. Um, but yeah, Coast Coast flashlight was awesome. Both of them are great products, work really well. And the Coast or the close ac actual handheld flashlight, it was the same deal. It takes a rechargeable battery and it takes the AAAs and that cylinder, but the rechargeable batteries are different. They're not the same type, not the same size battery. One's a little skinnier and longer the other one's shorter and thicker um sky i'm sure you know how Thank that goes yeah. <laughs> but uh what battery so, are you that's triple <laughs> a baby no uh, <laughs> but so they were they both work very very well so definitely check out coast they have a ton of different flashlights dude like a ton of different flashlights so research them if you want to get a coast go on their website i bought mine off amazon because you know why not amazon, yeah amazon's great um but check them out they do they they work great very very bright i put on my i kind of used it in my room with all the lights off and it lit up my entire room on like medium mode and i was like holy shit this is nuts and then i went outside and turned the lights off outside and i put it on the the ludicrous mode and it literally lit up my entire backyard Hell yeah. off of my headlamps. So I was like, Holy smokes. Dude, we're about to be herping, bro. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm super excited to get that, you know, used in the field. 
Um, trying to think what else. And then the other main, I think those were the three things or the four things for like the pack I got. You know, like I said, I bought you know a big old pack of AAA batteries to keep in the bag. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, I did get a stump ripper. Um, I ended up getting a, uh, animal equipment by Stony. Most of you will know just a Stony stump ripper. Um, so I got, got the Stony. Um, it worked great. I tested it out in the field last weekend. It was awesome. I've actually never used a stump ripper before, but a lot of people swear by them. Um, and we talked about sizing a little bit and last week. So I actually went and measured my field hook that i've been using for a long time in the field and because i love that size and it was 38 inches you know i know we were talking you know 40 to 48 is kind of your standard size uh again me being on a little bit of a shorter side i went with what i was comfortable with and i was used to using a 38 inch hook so i bought the 38 inch stump ripper and that's the cool thing about stony you know your main distributors of uh, stump rippers are going to be Midwest and your stony Midwest, a little bit more expensive and they only come in one or two sizes. And I believe they were like 48 or 52 inches, yeah. which is, it's too long for me. You know, it's not comfortable for me. I like to use my whole like, shit, like a wizard staff. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like something a little shorter, you know, th there's, there's pros and cons to shorter versus longer, but that's what she said. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I was coming. Uh, but I went for 38 inches and you know, like I said, I'm about five, nine. Um, and it's it a works. big ask out of a guy like you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went for that. And the good thing with the Stony is they go anywhere from, 24 inches up to like 52 i think maybe 54 um so there's a ton a ton of options with stony and um it's got two grips on it one your normal handle and then a little bit below that there's another grip for extra leverage if you're trying to pull something up that's heavier um and the reason i went with them i have a buddy who swears by him he loves his stony stump ripper and he said his buddy also has one and his buddy ran over, just about ran over his with his truck and didn't even put a scratch in it. Hell yeah. So definitely a solid hook. And that kind of sold me, like I said, a little bit cheaper than Midwest, but some people just swear by Midwest across the board. So Midwest is also a great product. Um, I was talking to my buddy, Harry, about it. Harry Claiborne. You should know him if you don't. I know him. Yeah, I know you do. I'm talking in general. Um, he's a big Midwest guy. So I know, Sky, you were talking about getting your buddy to make you one. Um, so Harry's talking about possibly getting a Midwest. If he gets a Midwest, when I go to see him at the end of March, we're going to do like a little comparison video of those two. Compare um, sticks. Yeah, that's right. Compare sizes. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be cool. Um, but again, it's all personal preference. You know, what you like. And I... I like the variation with the Stony of the different sizes and what you can, what you can get out of them. So great product. Um, super, super, super happy with it. It was great using it in the field. It worked super well. Um, so that was, I think that's everything I acquired. I used up all my extra play money. 
plus some um, to get all that stuff. So I was very happy to uh, kind of start getting my pack together. There's still a few things I want to get. I want to get an extra temp gun to keep in the bags. I have a temp gun that I use here. I don't really want to. Yeah, that's out. that was what I was doing. I freaking I was like, all right, I'm not going to be able to remember <laughs> to take this in and out every time. Right. I just need to go buy an extra one next time I'm at Lowe's yeah. or something. So yeah, so that's the next thing I want to get to keep in the hurt bag is a temp gun. I couldn't remember if the, this was the third thing that I forgot or if we brought it up, but the, a compass. I couldn't remember if we brought that up last week or not. We didn't bring up a compass, thing. but we brought up having it like a. G- I remember we GPS. brought up having the GPS, but I mean, when that thing fails, I have a pocket knife with the, the butt of the pocket knife yeah. to screw off compass and everything. And that has actually come in handy twice now that I've had that. So, and it's just a cool thing to have. You can always, you know check on it if you wanted so compass is also something you want to throw in your bag always be prepared for the worst you know you'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it so exactly be of that mindset yep definitely um so that's definitely something i want to add i'll probably look into getting a compass um and i would like to get a handheld gps but those are pretty pricey for a good one yeah i totally and, said it wrong last episode too i said a global gps which what the hell do you think gps stands for <laughs> <laughs> global positioning system i meant to say um a, a, a satellite gps which is one that you can use anywhere without service which is yeah. what i was trying to get to not yeah. a global gps because i think people gps but i think people knew what you're talking yeah so i wanted to clarify that you know if you are looking in for a serious gps system definitely go for a satellite one satellite phone satellite gps system something like that to where you could be at the bottom of the grand canyon and call your grandma if you needed to so yeah absolutely so um i think that's a that's everything I got. There's still a few things to get. Um, GPS will probably be towards the end of stuff I get. Yeah, because uh, like we said, that's for if you're going out on excursions. The places we herp, we're not going that deep into the woods. Yeah. If I ever were to be serious about that, it would be if I, you know, plan to go rogue in the Everglades again. Because that was literally the only time I've ever needed it where I was actually, you know, without a source of direction and had no idea where the flip i was at so that would have been great but other than that you're probably not going to need it at your local herping spots or you know your local walks or your day trips or whatever so be smart with your money be smart with what you're getting you know get stuff you know you're going to use but also get the things that you know will be handy if the worst were to happen so exactly you know all we got to say is Get out there and flip some tin, you guys. Before we go, we want to, you know, give our first challenge to the viewers, which we know everyone's kind of, you know, depending on where you're at or where you're listening from. We know a lot of you guys are over on the, some of you, most of you are on the Easter side of the state. So a lot of us are able to get out and see some stuff, but for, you know, everyone that's in the colder part of the country, you know, the challenge is going to be to get out and just making animal observation or make an observation in nature that you can you know that is something notable like for example i lost those three racers but i was able to bring back the information of each time i witnessed it so therefore i was able to bring back 
tons of knowledge. So go out, even if you can't get hands on a herp, see what you can see in the wild, put yourself in a spot where you want to see yourself catching a herp in the next month or two when spring is in full swing and you know stuff's going to be moving. Count it as a scout trip if you want to. Just get out there, see some birds, listen to nature, put yourself in the sun. Just get that first observation. Write us in on the page. Tell us if you've seen anything. If you had a cool observation like mine where you couldn't get hands on something, but you still could bring something back, write it in. We want to talk about this stuff. We want this pod to be connected with you guys. Do we want to sit here and ramble about us? You probably don't want to hear that every time. So we want this to be about all of you guys. Give us some of your content so we can talk about it. That way we can all grow as one and we can all learn as a group. You know, you telling us your stories is going to be able to help us grow and us telling you your, our stories, you know, it's going to be able to let you guys laugh at how retarded we are, but (laughs) (laughs) in all in all, get out in the woods, get an observation, whether it's through your eyes or with your hands and tell us about it so we can, you know share with everyone else and see what you got going on and what else is going on in the country right now, this time of year. Cause you guys know what's going on where Jake lives and you know, what's going on where I live. So what's going on where you live. We want to know. Yeah. We want to hear it all. You know, again, it doesn't have to, I don't care if it's snowing by you go out in the snow, get out in the woods. Tell us what you see. I don't care if it's, I watched this grasshopper for 10 minutes and it did this and it did that. I don't care whether it's birds, bugs, if it happens to be herps, that's even awesome. That's, that's even better, you know, but we, we want to hear about it. So the, the big thing here that we're trying to promote is just getting out in nature. And that doesn't always have to be finding a herp. Just get out there and observe your local fauna and learn about it. So you just get out in the woods. Our challenge is our first challenge is e- it's an easy one. It's an easy it's, one. It's we're not making gonna, it easy on you. We're gonna, get, we're gonna making it easy this time. They're gonna get harder. Okay, they're gonna get harder, and we're gonna you might have less. to work for it. Yeah, you're gonna have to work for it as we go on. But that's our first challenge for you. This this episode is just get in the woods. <laughs> get out there. <laughs> what? I don't look like an axe murderer. <laughs> Oh, God. Rude. Um, but yeah, just get out in the woods and then please write, write it in. You know, if you write us, we're going to talk about it on the podcast. We're going to tell you what you what you do. And eventually we're not going to do it with this. But eventually, as these get a little bit more in depth, we're asking more specifics. We might, you know, if, if you write us in, we'll put your name in a hat and do a giveaway or something. Yeah, you know, it's going to be down the road. But go ahead and get used to writing us in yeah. and telling us about what you experienced. And then down the road, we'll make it fun. You know, and um, I don't. Yeah, Sky Sky's challenge this week is to go catch the racer. That is 100% my challenge. I'm coming back this next episode. I'm giving you some more on the racer. Yeah, that is for sure. So that's our challenge this week. And um, for closing, something I didn't bring it up last episode because I kind of forgot. But I in I've been reading a rattlesnakes of the United States book. And in said book, there's a quote in there that I kind of want this podcast to live by. So I kind of want to close on this every week or every time we do the episode. That's the other thing. we I think we figured out a schedule for this. We're going to be on every other week doing an episode. Um, one week will be Flippin' 10. Next week will be the, Her- the Herpetoculture podcast with me and Justin. So just keep that in mind. I think we're going to be on an every other week schedule. 
um because you know want to hear more but so before, before you get to your closing statement yeah. because i already know it's going to be good and yeah, there's no that. point to you know get back into anything so yeah. before we get into this closing statement you guys don't forget message in about the hats the shirts Absolutely. the flipping tin instagram pages where you're going to want to message into that and not only that but next episode we are going to be going over the contest or the little challenge that we just gave everyone. And we're going to be having our first surprise guest to go over some of their herping and yep. field experiences. So you're going to want to tune in for our first surprise guest. And right now, Jake is about to close it out with some really yep. sick shit. So listen yes. up. Listen up. And with that whole guest thing, when we have guests on, we're not going to tell you. So. Surprise. It's gonna be it's gonna be a surprise every week. We're not gonna announce it like everybody else does. We're gonna be like, all right, we got a guest lined up. Make sure to tune in if you want to hear it first. Yep. So we're not gonna tell y'all who it is now. We already have the person lined up, so you can find out in two weeks when we do the episode. Tune in. But with that said, this has been episode two of Flipping Ten, and I just want to close on on this statement. Okay, when it comes to field herping, look and you will see. Read and you will learn, think and you will know. Those are the words that we want this show to live by and always remember that. And that is a quote from Rattlesnakes of the U.S. So flipping that, tin, baby. That goes hand in hand with flipping tin. Get out and flip some tin, baby. Never know if you don't go. Hell yeah. Thank, Thank you, everybody, you. for joining in and uh, for the live chat. And uh, if you're listening to this at a later date, Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of y'all. We love y'all. Hit us up if you want some merch. Thank you. Good night, y'all. Peace. Peace.